Hey, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Hills Baptist Church. I am excited to be with you. This is my church, my home church. I love this church. I've been acquainted with this church for about four years, and uh, just to see you here is just a real testimony of God pouring out His blessing uh, among us here. And I just praise the Lord for your presence. I want to thank Ken um, Wilson for inviting me and also the deacons for allowing me to share with you this morning. And I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. What I'd like for you to do is take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. Oh, I was going to, I asked somebody, what age is it that the kids go to to, uh, Calvary Kids? And I think it's four years old, five years old, up through second grade. So if you're a Calvary's kid kid, now's the time to leave if you haven't done so already. I think they pretty much have their parents trained to, uh, to know when the time to leave is. Thanks for being here today. My question is, what did you expect to hear this morning? Um, I, my prayer, my hope is that we'll be challenged, encouraged, and focused with great hope for what God's doing in this family of faith. But not only that, for the opportunity we have to engage this world because they have certainly determined to engage you. Okay? In March of 2005, the Philadelphia News shared an article about a couple who were making and selling candles that smelled just like Jesus. Their advertisement stated, these candles let you experience the scent of Jesus' essence. The candles were so popular, they were selling out by cases, not just individual candles. Light up the candle, called his essence, and experience the fragrance of Christ. Stand with me if you would. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, and those who are perishing, to the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Who is equal to such a task? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, What a crazy time to be alive, especially as Christians, because everything just seems to look pretty bleak and pretty ugly and pretty dark. Lord, we thank you because you have placed us here for such a time as this. For we are the lights who break through the darkness, pointing people to you. May we not be afraid. May we be bold and courageous in our testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take a seat. So this morning, we're going to consider what it means for you 
to be the aroma of Christ. Now as we begin, we need to consider some context here because Paul makes a reference to something that that we don't have any frame of reference for because it's just something that we don't understand at all. In fact, I was working with Dave, who is one of the key leaders in the media team, the worship team, and we're trying to capture a picture or a video or something that would capture what the word triumphal procession looked like. When Paul used that term, he knew what he was writing about, and everybody in Corinth that received this letter knew exactly what he was referring to, but it's not anything that we're familiar with. You see, a triumphal procession was a special ceremony and extravagant event that took place in Rome. And only a select few got to participate in a triumphal procession because it was recognizing the conquering general who accomplished something that was beyond the scope of what anybody thought could be done. He conquered a country. He broke the back of the enemy. He overwhelmed against all odds somebody else. And the Senate would have a triumphal procession to recognize him. And this was a big, big deal. Everybody turned out, and it was a procession that was extravagant, and it was unbelievable, and the throngs of people came out to share and celebrate the invincible Roman army and culture. And so here's what it would look like. This is, try and imagine in your mind how long this procession would have been. They would start the procession, and the first guys in line were, of course, the state officials and the Roman senators. And they're marching down this avenue, and people are cheering and shouting and throwing flowers, and people were burning incense and everything to celebrate this great Roman victory. Following the Senate officials were the trumpeters. I don't know if you ever saw the music man. 76 trombones had nothing on this. I mean, these were trumpeters. And then the next would be the spoils of victory. They would have pictures of the conquered cities and the people. And then all of the captives that were conquered were coming and dragged before the crowd. Then following that was a white bull. And this white bull symbolized the victory. And it was going to be the offering and the sacrifice, which we made, made, made later. Then political and military leaders, who were then also the captives, in chains, marched before the people. Then the guidon bearers, with the great banners of all of the units that made up the legions of the conquering forces, and they would parade in front of all the people. Then the musicians, with with harps and lyres, and, and then the priests, each priest carrying a censer of incense an aroma to the gods, a testimony of victory. Then the conquering general himself, standing in the chariot drawn by four horses, 
wearing a purple toga with stars and a crown above his head. Then his family, the general's family. Then all of the soldiers shouting and singing the song of triumph. And the people thronged to the celebration. No one can stand in the face of the invincible Roman Empire. Jesus said, thanks be to God who always leads us in the triumphal procession in Christ. Over against all of this pomp and circumstance of Rome, Paul says, let me share with you a procession that's even greater. The procession of those in Christ. William Barclay puts it like this. The proclamation of that great procession was fine for Rome, but the proclamation of Jesus' procession says this. No pessimistic fear here, only glorious optimism in the unconquerable majesty of the glorified Jesus. Go to the next slide. Read this with me. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You are part of a great triumphant procession. We don't have big armies. We don't have generals. We have Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. We, as followers of Jesus, are partakers of Jesus' triumph over sin and death. We celebrate. We are the visible presence that celebrates reconciliation with the Lord. We celebrate new life, clear purpose, a secure future, and a steadfast hope. Because God has called us out of a world where we can come to the place to say, circumstances do not define me. Peer pressure does not define me. The accumulation of the world's accolades does not define me. The accumulation of things does not define me. The Lord defines me. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God proclaims, you are mine. Now that's a procession. Now today, what's so great about today, we're going to have the opportunity of celebrating the triumph of Christ as we share with Isaiah and Jacob and Jeremiah and Sierra in their baptism. Listen to these words as Paul describes our triumph. We are therefore 
buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So in just a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity for those of you who know Jesus to be reminded again, we are the procession of the triumphant presence of Christ who has called us out to new life. And he does even more. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Think about this. And this is, I think, so very, very important for us to grasp. Verses 14 through 16 leads us in triumphal procession in Christ through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and the aroma of Christ for those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Hear me clearly. God, as you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, has placed you in this world for such a time as this. To proclaim the triumph of Jesus over all of life, over sin, and over death. And that's why you're here. And as a result of that, we live by faith in him because formerly we were God's enemies, but now we have such vital union with him that everywhere we go, we emit the fragrance of the knowledge of the Lord. You are the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1. Verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Go to the next slide. Oops, sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Go back one slide. Listen, God placed you here. He is transforming your life. He has called you out. And as you engage the world around you, as you relate with the, the people that you come in contact with, as you become part of this family of faith, you're going to have opportunity to engage people who have been beaten down and broken in this dark and depraved and angry world. They've been broken down by life experiences. They've been just defeated by personal choices and their burden. And if you don't measure up to the world's standards, rejected, and they're tired and weary of chasing dreams, 
that never satisfy. And your presence, you're sharing with them the fragrance of life of Jesus in you. God uses that to call them to himself because you are the visible presence of God's words of life. And they respond. As we're going to see in just a few minutes, rejoicing and giving testimony to the lordship of Jesus. Many of you in this room are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Okay, we're going to say just a, a little bit of it. So somebody just be bold enough to say, okay, how does it begin? Does anybody know what the first line of the Lord's Prayer is? Our Father who art in heaven. Very good. The second line goes like this. Hallowed depends on the translation. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name on earth as it is in heaven. You understand the second line's for you? Did you know that? Our Father who art in heaven, we recognize who He is. He's Lord. He's God. He reigns over all. He's sovereign of the universe. Hallowed be your name. So here's the question for you. Remember, those of you who know Jesus Christ, He's taken up residence in your life through the presence of His Holy Spirit. And according to the Bible, you are a holy people in the royal priesthood. So let me ask you this question. Last week, last week, how did you exemplify and make God's name holy in your life last week? That's the question. His name is holy. You are holy. He placed you here to exempt, uh, to exhibit what it means and give evidence of what it means to be holy. Now, I don't mean you were nice to people. I don't mean you were friendly to them. I don't mean in moral situation you said, okay, I'm going to be a good guy and I'm not going to go down this road. But how did you verbally and in your actions give praise to the Holy One whom you know and represent? You see, it's difficult to say, yes, the Bible says I'm the fragrance of Christ. It's difficult to be the fragrance of Christ if you don't share the fragrance of Christ in word and in action. Now, those of you who maybe just come into this church and you've just been here a little while, one of the great things about this church, and we've had, Angelo, three, three classes on teaching people and equipping people how to share their faith, how to be the fragrance of Christ in word and then the visible presence of Christ in action. You see... You, you are the person Jesus is exemplifying in the way you live to call attention to himself and to bring people to him. You are the fragrance. You, did you know you're the fragrance of life? If you know Jesus, you are. 
You're the fragrance of life if you know Jesus. Do you know that? You're the fragrance of life if you know Jesus. And people respond through the conviction and the leadership of the Holy Spirit because of your testimony. That powerful or what? Now go to the next slide. All right. You're the fragrance of life. You're also the fragrance of death. Because unfortunately, not everybody we share with is going to come to Jesus. Unfortunately, uh, that's not the response. In fact, the Bible makes it very, very clear that very often the response is the exact opposite. Because for some, you're the fragrance of life. For others, you, it's not your fault, Kevin, you're the fragrance of death. It's not your fault. Kevin was in my Bible study class today, so I can say that. It's not his fault, is it? Because it's the way the world is. In these days and in the days to come, there's going to be an increased animosity, hostility, bullying, persecution, and downright hatred of the people of God and the family of faith. John 15 uh, this is exactly what Jesus says in John 15, and I missed, I pulled something I shouldn't have pulled. There it is, John 15. It says, if, it really should say, since the world hates you, keep in mind, hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You know, I was a pastor many, many years, Gary, and I, I really like, wanted people to like me, you know, so I tried to be nice to everybody, so I would hope they liked me. And I really learned real quick that not everybody likes you. It doesn't matter what you do. They're not going to like you. As a Christian, because you have the love of Christ in your heart, you want to share with others the love of Christ, but also that you care about them and you love them. And we're, then we just don't understand when they hate us. We don't understand why they get mean and ugly. We don't understand why they make the accusations they make. Well, that's because they don't hate you. They kind of hate you, but they really don't hate you. They hate God, and they can't do anything but God, so they're going to take it out on you. And that's how this works. Okay. The Lord makes it very clear. He created us for personal fellowship with Him. And He shares with us in the Word what that looks like and how it takes place. And that's the problem. Okay? You need to understand the problem here. Why do people hate God so much? And of course, then they hate you too. Well, it's pretty simple. You, got it. And you know, this is one of the great things about when you learn to read the Bible, you say, oh, okay, it makes sense to me now. Here's exactly how God did this. He brought everything into creation. The crown of that creation was people. And he said, here's how this works. It's really simple. Here's what I would like to, this is what our relationship's going to look like. Hear me. In other words, listen to what I tell you to do. Number two, do what I ask you to do. That's obey me. And number three, love me like I love you. 
If you look at the scripture, it's exactly what it says. Hear me, follow me, love me. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, and from that time all the way until this time, just now it's uh, very much ugly and dark and depraved and everything else. Here was our response. Number one, we don't want to listen to you. Number two, we don't want to follow you and obey you. And number three, we don't love you. In fact, we hate you. And so God said, all right, I'll accommodate that choice. You don't get to live here anymore. You don't need to live here anymore because you don't want to be here anymore. So we left the Garden of Eden. From that time until this time, when you look at the history of man, the response has been, as a result of our pride, our selfishness, our rebellion, we develop our own standards of value and worth. And the tragedy is... We make life so difficult that everybody said, here's how I'm going to do this. I will be my own God, and I will determine what's right for me, and everyone else needs to follow me because I know my truth, and it's going to be your truth too. Let me give you a case in point. You're reading the scripture. It's pretty clear. You know, in the, the creation story in Genesis, it says God created male and female. That's pretty clear, right? It's pretty simple. Male and female. However, because we want to do, we, we do things, we come up with... Uh, our own perception of what that culture looks like. In fact, the great thing about the male and female, you guys understand this? Now, Lynn and I have been married, I think it'll be 51 years come December. And she always reminds me of this. The reason we've been married so long is her job, according to the Lord, is to fill my gaps. And that's true. Those of you who've been married for a while, you understand that your spouse's job is to fill your gaps because that's how God did this. So it's pretty simple, male and female. However, here's what's going on culturally now. I came, culturally now. I came across um, this article, and it was from Teen Talk. Are you ready for this? There are many different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, gender queer, two-spirit, third gender, and all or none or combination of any of these. Wow. That's what happens. And this is just an example, and there's a number of other different kind of cultural things that we could have used. I guess what impressed me so much is this came out of a teen magazine that your kids read. Secondly, guess what's being taught to your children in public school? Is it any wonder that depression and suicide rates and substance abuse goes through the roof among teens? 
And what makes it even more painful is when we as Christians begin to share biblical truth and guidelines as believers. We're labeled as homophobic, haters of people, and demagogues. And here's what happens next. Churches are vandalized and leaders are threatened with death because they have the audacity to dare to speak, stating that life begins at conception and every person, no matter their age or background, is an individual of great dignity and worth. That is not appropriate anymore. Churches and Christian school leaders receive death threats because they state that only families that support God's clear intent at creation are allowed to enroll. Christian athletes are marginalized and penalized for holding to biblical truth. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but her name is Jaylene Daniel. She is an outstanding woman soccer player who refused to wear a jersey celebrating LGBT pride because as a Christian... She couldn't support that statement. She has outstanding skills. She is noted as one of the best soccer players in the country, but she was left off the U.S. women's national team because of her Christian beliefs. The soccer club she plays for actually published an apology for letting her on the team. Here's the irony. You know what the name of that team is? The North Carolina Courage. That's pretty ironic, isn't it? Okay. If you're a young person, you know, junior high and high school, get a writing instrument. You got a, yeah, thank you very much. You're doing great. Uh, you got a bullet when you came in. I want you to write this sentence down. I want you to write it down because this is really important. Not just for you, but for just about every person in this room. Well, probably every person in this room. When I express, write this down, when I express in my life the presence of Jesus, I will be harassed, ridiculed, mocked, and bullied. Not just for youth. I, I was talking to a mom who shared the other day. She said, my kids were not prepared. Because we, as the body of Christ, for some reason have blinders on. The great thing is, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has placed us in this world at this time, in this culture, for such a time as this. So our question is, we know what's happening. We know the direction that's going. How do we respond? Go to the next slide. We respond with some biblical principles. 
Okay, this is so important. What is going to be our response? Too much of the time, and I'm just talking from my perspective, so if you tell me I'm wrong, that's okay. Just tell me afterwards. Too much of the time, what I see our response, the response of evangelical Christianity to the true darkness that we're dealing with, here's the response that I see. Anger, hatred, condemnation, demanding our rights, pointing fingers in retaliation. And I'm going to say to you, the foundation we need to have is to follow the model of Jesus in response. We are the procession of the triumphant Christ. We are the ones who already know who we are and we know where we're going, so we need to respond as Jesus responded. And our foundation of response, from my perspective, cannot be what we're receiving from the world because we don't belong there. So here's the foundation for response. First of all, as Christians, we celebrate individual dignity and worth. We're running out of time, so I don't want to go to the passages, but you can look them up. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says, After God finished all this creation stuff, he looked at what he had done, and it was very good. Jesus made a value statement about you before you were born. He made a value statement about people before they even came into existence or as they came into existence. And he already knew they were going to be in sin and rebellion. But he looked at him and he said, you're very good. You haven't even done anything. And what you're going to do is going to be wrong. Man. As the people of God, we, the psalmist is, you, every single person, is fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, God places great value on every individual, and they deserve to be treated with great value. No name-calling, no humiliating, degrading statements, but an affirmation that you are important. Now, let's not confuse this, because I've heard people say, well, I understand, we're all children of God. We are not all children of God. Those who know Jesus Christ, according to the Word of God, are the children of God. Everybody else is created, but they're not His children. But they're worthy of respect and value. That's principle number one. Principle number two, go to the next slide, is authentic choice. And Joshua and one of the guys in the group I met with Tuesday night kind of brought that back to our remembrance. And I said, oh, I've got to write that down so I don't forget it. Authentic choice. And Joshua, and people are getting ready to go into the promised land. And he says to him, listen, y'all, we're going to go into this promised land. There's going to be all kinds of crazy things going on there and idol worship and everything. And you need to choose this day whom you're going to serve because here's a great truth. Here's a great truth. I've been doing counseling for ages and ages and ages because I'm an old guy. Here's a great truth. We always do what we do because that's what we choose to do. In our culture now, though, I can excuse my behavior on my feelings. I kind of really felt bad, so I just had to reach out and hit somebody. We do what we do because that's what we choose to do. 
Or we blame it on circumstances. Well, if I wasn't born this color, it would have been different. You're the exact color God wanted you to be. Unfortunately, we live in a sinful, depraved world that, that judges people by color. God does not. So you choose whether or not you're going to follow him. We choose. But we learned this really young. I had so much fun. I have a grandson now. He's three years old. He got in tr- he's just started school, three years old, this school. He got in trouble last week for biting somebody. Not a good thing. So we talked to him last night, and Ethan, what's going on? Well, my friend, or whoever it was, he pushed me, and so I bit him. Okay, is that the best you could do? But evidently, uh, he thought it was. So uh, authentic choice. That's what authentic choice is, that we get to choose We get to choose whether or not we're going to, as adults and high school kids and stuff, whether or not we're going to yield to the lordship of Christ. That's what evangelism is all about, isn't it? Angel, I tell Angel because he's sitting right here, but also he's the one who leads pretty much the evangelism training here. The evangelism training is to equip you to be able to share your faith in Christ with someone so that person has the opportunity to make the decision to yield to the Lordship of Christ or not. But it's their choice, not ours. It's their choice. And so we always have authentic choice of what we're going to do next. We can blame it on all kinds of stuff, but the truth is we chose And our prayer is that we choose Jesus. We choose Jesus. I've already heard, you know, one of the things that I noticed about the the newer, younger generation is many of them, who are Christians, do not like evangelism. They don't believe in evangelism because they think we're kind of like fuller brush salesmen, which most of you are too young to even know who fuller brush salesmen are. We're selling Girl Scout cookies at the door. We're selling Girl Scout cookies. You want to buy some Girl Scout cookies? We don't sell anything. We don't sell Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. Then they go to the next slide. Personal accountability. I'm going to make a choice. And I'm responsible for that choice. Okay? And I'm responsible for that choice. In Romans chapter 14, I need to read these verses just because I think they're great verses for us to, to come to grips with. Romans chapter 14, is this exactly what it says about what God's doing in our life? And we're going to be looking at, at verses 10 through 12. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we all stand before God's judgment seats written. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to the Lord. We are responsible to make that decision. And so here's my question as I go forward. As a Christian, 
Am I going to be the one who chooses to be the bearer of good news of reconciliation? Or am I going to be the obstacle to what God's doing? I'm the bearer of good news. I'm not the bearer of condemnation. I'm the bearer of hope. I'm the bearer of joy. I'm the bearer of beginning again. I'm the bearer of transformation. Because God takes care of what God takes care of. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So here's some scriptural guidelines that God's given us. Okay? Scriptural guidelines. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Who believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Do we get this? I mean, I've, I've heard people just share that, well, you know, I need to make somebody uh, aware of their sin because they need to understand uh, that if they don't turn to Jesus, they're going to go to hell and fry like a sausage. That's not my job. The Holy Spirit condemns. I don't have permission to condemn. So here's the question I need to ask myself. The question I ask myself is, what is the best gift of the gospel I can give someone today? Even if they're in my face telling me how ignorant and how homophobic and how messed up and geeked up I am. Thank you for your contribution. Let me tell you about Jesus. Can you do that? Because it hurts when somebody's up in your face, isn't it? Especially when they say some of the things they say. It's painful. Can you say, wait a minute, this is, they're attacking the Lord, not me. I just happen to be the guy standing in front of them. So my response needs to be, what's the best gift of the gospel I can give? How can my words make God's name holy in their lives? And then the next slide. It's one of my most favorite passages. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Remember I told you about Jaylene Daniels, the the soccer player who uh, got sidelined and marginalized because she wouldn't, wouldn't wear a stupid shirt? Here was her response. I believe everyone, regardless of gender, ethnicity, beliefs, or abilities, is worthy of dignity, value, and love. My beliefs may call me to live differently, but my love runs That's what we're about. We, we, you, we, I don't say we because there's a mouse in my pocket. We, 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 all of us we's are the fragrance. Listen, the fragrance of Christ. What do you smell like? Now you got a bulletin, and thank you, Sherich. Every she put a little scratch and sniff sticker on your bulletin. Scratch that little sticker and see what you smell like. Well, at least what the bulletin smells like. Mine's a banana. I thought that was kind of neat. But I don't know. Some people have cherry. I don't know what you all have. But scratch and smell it. Did you do that? Isn't that wild? Does, does it have an odor to it, hopefully? Okay, good. Anna, 
when somebody scratches you, what does he smell? I'm serious. Scratch a little sticker. Mine smells like a banana. Well, not smells kind of like a banana, banana perfume or whatever that is. When somebody scratches you, do they smell the fragrance of Jesus? Yeah. That's why you're here. It's a triumphant procession. As we see the world going in the direction it's going around us, we say, is there hope? I say, according to the word of God, there is.